You're listening to Frankly Speaking, weekly primary care insights for your practice, brought to you by PrimeMed. Welcome to Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Frank J. Domino, MD. I'm a family physician and professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Massachusetts. Today's topic is something that's right out of the news headlines. We've all been hearing about exercise. With me today is Dr. Alan Ehrlich. Dr. Ehrlich is an associate professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. He is executive editor of Dynamed, an online database of best evidence. And he is the former chair of family medicine at St. Vincent's Hospital here in Worcester. Welcome, Alan. Hi, Frank. Thank you for having me on today. My pleasure. Alan, can you tell us a little bit about what the current recommendations are for exercise? So the, uh, the World Health Organization, as well as uh, national organizations in the United States and the United Kingdom, all agree that there's targets for extra physical activity that most uh, patients or most uh, citizens should try and achieve. Though they agree on the total amounts of exercise, which includes 75 minutes a week of very vigorous exercise or 150 minutes per week of moderate exercise. In addition, everyone is recommended to have at least two sessions per week where they're doing strengthening exercises on all your major muscle groups. What we don't know is in terms of that 75 minutes of vigorous activity or the 150 minutes of moderate activity, how that should be spread out throughout the week. There's no solid evidence to date that has guided the recommendations. And so there's soft recommendations within the texts that suggest this should happen in at least three episodes per week of exercise. So Alan, it sounds like we have good data on how much time people should exercise, but the hows and whys of it are remain unclear. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the recent article that was in JAMA on exercise? Sure. So this study was out of uh, the UK. They looked at people in England and Scotland, and this involved uh, face-to-face surveys of people about their health habits. And there were about 60,000 individuals, and what they wanted to know was how people who met the recommendations for total amount of exercise compared to people who either did it in a narrow number of sessions, one or two per week, which they typically would fall on the weekend. They would call them weekend warriors. They would compare that with people who got it stretched out throughout the week or people who got less exercise than was suggested. And finally, all the, those, those three groups were compared to people who were completely inactive, very sedentary in their lifestyle. So the four groups that they had, this was not a randomized trial, so they were not of equal sizes. In fact, two-thirds of the participants were people who were completely inactive with a sedentary lifestyle. The smallest group was the weekend warriors. In any event, they looked at health outcomes for each of these three groups in terms of overall mortality, cardiovascular mortality, and cancer. What they found was that any degree of physical activity was good. If you got less 
physical activity than the total amount recommended, so they, those people were described as insufficiently active, or if you compressed it into just one or two days, you still got most of the benefit that the people who were exercising at least three times a week achieving the target number of minutes found compared to people who were inactive altogether. That's remarkable. So was that true for all of those categories, all cause mortality, heart disease, and, and cancer? Yes. The reductions for all cause mortality were, was about 35% in each of the three groups. They did a number of analyses. Again, it wasn't randomized, so you have to take into account, gee, is it people who are more healthy in the first place that are actively exercising? Is it people who have chronic diseases that find themselves sedentary? So they adjusted for comorbidities, they adjusted for uh, BMI, age, sex, a number of things. And in multiple analyses, regardless of how they did the adjustments, they found that the benefits carried through in all three groups who were at least have some degree of physical activity. One of the questions that naturally arises is, well, gee, if the group that was insufficiently active got benefits also, perhaps we don't need to be doing so much exercise and we can still be uh, achieving the same health benefits. So they did a separate analysis where they compared the weekend warriors and the people who were fully active to the people who were insufficiently active. In that case, the weekend warriors did not have a statistically significant advantage over the insufficiently active group, but the people who were meeting the recommendations did show benefits over the insufficiently active group. So we, it still overall supports the recommendations, but the bottom line, and in fact, actually, if you look at the current recommendations, they all say this, some exercise is better than none. So for patients who are asking about what they need to do, if it seems like getting 150 minutes of brisk walking is too high a hurdle for them to achieve, they shouldn't be discouraged. Anything is better than nothing. So yeah, so just to summarize, it sounds like um, not meeting the 150 minutes per week guideline is, uh, has little impact, or not meeting the 150 minutes per week recommendations from the guidelines uh, may confer a slightly lower risk. But if, if your opportunity to exercise is just on the weekends and you can, you can compress a day or two of, of good exercise there, you'll lower your risks for all-cause mortality, heart disease mortality, and cancer risks. Is that correct? I, I think this study supports that uh, claim quite a bit. Again, it is a cohort study, and that has some natural limitations. All right, so speaking limitations, what are the other limitations of the study? Well, first of all, the patients self-reported their activity. So when someone says, I exercise 150 minutes a week, is this somebody who wishes they exercised 150 minutes a week? So we don't know that those people truly are doing what the, uh, the guidelines say, and so that may underestimate the benefit of, of meeting the guidelines. That would be one thing. The second thing we don't know is if they exercise too much. We know from other data that people who run marathons all the time actually increase their risk of uh, heart problems. They may be straining themselves too much. So you, ha you don't have an upper limit on that group that's active, and that may introduce some uh, bias there as well. 
the, uh, the group that is insufficiently active, again, we don't really know in what way they were insufficiently active. Wh how, what, that's a large range from one minute to 74 minutes of activity a week. And so it's just walking out to the mailbox considered activity or not? It, uh, there's a lot of that stuff that they didn't spell out in the article. Alan, I, I have, when I chat with patients, they'll say, oh, I exercise, I take the dog for a walk every day. And when I take my dog for a walk, he inevitably needs to stop about every eight feet. And so I don't really feel like I get much exercise. Uh, and I don't suspect patients who walk dogs get as much exercise if their dog is similar to mine. How much, how would you use this information when you're talking with a patient? If they say, oh, I walk my dog for 20 minutes every day, is that adequate? So first of all, I think most people who have dogs and walk their dogs are getting activity. I, I think that's getting a dog is a great way to get out because, you know, I have cats and you open the door and the cats go out and you, I get no exercise <laughs> from that. So uh, I do think that dogs are a great way for patients to have both companionship and to get physical activity. Your point about stopping frequently, I think, is well taken. And what I would say in regards to that is that this would qualify for moderate activity at best. This isn't vigorous activity, but this would fall in that category of insufficiently active where something is certainly better than nothing. And I think it's a great way to start. It gets people to get off the couch, get up, go outside. Once you're outside, people often walk more than they intended to just because it's, it's good to be outdoors. And I, I totally agree with you. I think sedentary is a big problem. And in my home, it's not uncommon after the evening meal to sit on the sofa and, and just sit there for two or three hours. And I often think that's probably the worst thing I could do. When I think about my, uh, my great-grandparents and my grandparents, living back in Italy, after they finished their evening meal, they walked to the center of town, and that was when they had their social network going. They, they didn't sit and watch Jeopardy. You know, I think your point is really good, and any type of activity like that is important. What's particularly important for people of our age now is that many of us have not just sedentary evenings where we sit and watch television, but sedentary time throughout the day. If you have a desk job, I mean, many physicians or nurse practitioners are obviously up on their feet throughout the day. But if you, for your patients, if they have desk jobs, they may be sitting six, seven hours a day looking at a computer screen. And it's very clear that for those types of people, they can reverse a lot of the weight gain and other adverse health effects that come from sitting all the time by having some type of regular activity uh, at some point in the day. So let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, some specifics. Uh, patients always ask me, what should I get my heart rate to, doc? And I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that. So for vigorous activity, typically the uh, recommendation is to achieve about 80% of the maximal predicted heart rate, which would be 220 minus their age. In general, I think when I recommend to patients what they should do, for moderate activity, I would like to see their heart rate get up over 100. And nowadays, people have all these health trackers, you know, the Fitbits or the Apple Watch, things like that. And these things will not only count steps 
when they're walking, they will monitor their heart rate, and they can give them a lot of feedback that before, uh, we used to tell patients, you know, stop, check your pulse. Half the people didn't know how to do that, or that was too complicated. So there's a lot of technology today that supports being more active for, uh, for people. And the type of activity can vary, whether it be riding a bicycle, walking, or other things that people find enjoyable. Great. Um, keeping in mind that this study is really informative, what are, can you just remind us again about what the guidelines are so that in the event, uh, so we know what the standard of care has been and, and although it may change in the future, what, what, is the current, what are the current guidelines with regard to exercise? So I think the current guidelines that uh, clinicians need to be aware of, which, and again, you know, if you're recertifying uh, in, in the near future, you would be following the national guidelines as they exist now, and that's a total of 150 minutes spread uh, throughout the week, and the guidelines don't specify that it can't be in one or two days, but 150 minutes of moderate activity, which is typically classified as brisk walking, which is not you're in the shopping mall and you stop at every store and you look around, but you know continuous walking, uh, but it doesn't have to be fast, but just steady walking at a good clip, 150 minutes of that or 75 minutes of vigorous activity, and with vigorous activity, uh, I would expect the heart rate to be getting up you know, 110, 120, somewhere in there that uh, people uh, typically associate with playing a sport uh, or jogging or something like that. In addition, two sessions of muscle strengthening activity a week uh, would be the minimum recommended. Great. Well, then just to summarize, uh, this study tells us that at least some exercise is better than none, and uh, doing compressing your exercise maybe just to the weekend or one or two days a week probably provides you with the same heart and cancer benefit as well as all-cause mortality benefit as someone who exercises on a regular basis under with the assumption that those limitations you described earlier may have shifted the data a bit. Does that sound about right? That's about right. The one final caveat is people sometimes worry that the people who ex compress all their exercise into one or two days on the weekend, because it's happening in such a short amount, may put themselves at increased risk for injury. This study, there's no data one way or the other on that, and that's always a concern. So that's, that's one of the reasons for spreading it out in smaller amounts, but the bottom line is work with your patients, whatever they're willing to do in the way of exercise, try and get them to do it. If they can achieve the total number of minutes in one or two sessions, that should not be discouraged. Great, thank you, Alan. Uh, our guest today was Alan Ehrlich, uh, Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health here at UMass. I appreciate your, your review of this article and makes it very easy, your discussion makes it very easy to clinically apply. I'm Frank Domino, professor here at the University of Massachusetts, and I want to thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking, and we hope to see you next time.